On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, the new Google glasses that can translate a foreign language for you. And standing ovations have gotten really cheap. What do they even mean anymore? Plus, Michael Mondo, who plays Nacho Varga on Better Call Saul, joins us. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. And don't forget, leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob M. Ronnie. Accident or injury, call Jacob M. Ronnie. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue Baloo, Tuesday morning, May the 17th. How you feeling? Feeling uh, pretty damn good, Steve. Excellent. That's great to hear. So I got a couple, before I get to our guest, got a couple things I want to get to. First of all, uh, you're a bit of a technophobe, would you say? A bit of a technophobe? I don't know if it's a technophobe. I'm just not very, I'm I'm not a Mac genius. Let's put it that way. Okay. I won't find you at the genius bar. (laughs) So uh, Google has come out with, and and these are being demoed right now, but I want to know if this is something you're in on. They teased a pair of smart glasses last week that are capable of translating languages in real time. So they showed a video demo of these glasses. And while they're just a prototype, Google has suggested the glasses can show live language translations to the person wearing them. In other words, you go to a foreign country, you're in, I don't know, Bolivia, let's just say. I don't know why that country popped into mind. Uh, And somebody with these augmented glasses would be able to understand what the other person is saying just by reading the captions that are presented through the lenses of the glasses. So in other words, you talk to somebody, they say something, you see the translation on the inside of your glasses. What do you think? Hopefully you're not talking to someone while you're driving in the car. Oh, yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. You don't want to be driving while you're wearing the translate glasses. Or you're like a bus driver and somebody's speaking to you in another language. Can you please make sure you tell me that this is the stop? And it's like, I don't know. I mean... There's a part of me that says that ah, kind of cool, but like, can't something just be what it is? Your glasses are for sight. <laughs> but why can't it be better? In other words, you've been to lots of foreign countries. You've traveled mm-hmm. the, the world. And mm-hmm. this would mean that you could go into any country, anywhere, any city, anywhere and communicate easily with people because you can see what they're saying. Yeah, like I said, in theory, it kind of is kind of cool that you could do that. But there are apps now where you can put in. I mean, I know that you're hearing it and then you're and then you're you're and then you're reading it. Yeah, so you're getting it immediately. Yes, you know. So in theory, it is a kind of a cool idea, but I don't know. It could be kind of dangerous. Can be sure. I I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I always feel like when you go to a foreign country. You should at least try 
the language. Do you, do you agree with that? I totally agree. And whenever I do go to a foreign language, um, I have, there's an app that I use. There are books that I use. I always know a little bit. And, you know, some countries are open to it. Like, I remember when I went to France, everybody was like, oh, God, people in France, they're so rude. They hate that you don't speak the language. And that could not be further from the truth in the places that I went to. Really? Because I, I had the experience that they really didn't like that we didn't speak the language. And, oh, these American tourists in there. But that was Paris, right? Yeah. Maybe you went to, you know, nice parts of France where people were different. No, I mean, well, we went to some remote places in France where they didn't speak English at all. Okay. So they um, they kind of, you know, thought it was kind of sweet that we were trying to speak to them in their language. But even in Paris, I mean, I didn't, I just didn't have that experience in the places that I went God, to. God, I did have that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know. I what mean, can I you took- remember from French now? Can you speak any French? Not at all. Okay, like you land in France today. What do you say? I speak English. <laughs> Je ne sais pas. Say, Je ne yeah. sais pas. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Off poire, you know, steak au poire. <laughs> yeah. um, I would just give them food terms. Um, but you know, I took I took Spanish when I was a kid. So, yeah. You know, for like three years in school, so I can understand some things in Spanish. My problem with Spanish is that I could speak it better than I can under comprehend it. Oh, okay. So, if, so I'll speak to someone in Spanish and then they'll go off. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't. I, no, 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 bueno, no, bueno, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 you know, poquito. But, um, but I can kind of get by with Spanish. See, what I think is sad is, so I took two years of Spanish in high school. I took, three semesters of Spanish at Bowling Green in college. Uh, I took Berlitz um, uh, just a, a number of years back. Um, I use this thing called Duolingo. You know, I, I use all that. I can't speak Spanish. It doesn't matter how many classes I take, how many lessons I take. Cannot speak Spanish. Now, I can speak un poco, but not anything for real. And Spanish apparently is the easiest language to learn. Yes, so forget about French. Forget about French for me. It always looked really complicated. All right, I wanted to get to this. So I, you love the theater. I love the theater. I went to see Hadestown a couple of weeks ago at the Amundsen Theater in downtown LA. Fantastic. You know how a show is good? It's when two weeks later, you're still singing one of the songs from the show, right? So I've had this song. Do you ever get the thing where the song is stuck in your head? You can't shake the song no matter what. All the time. All the time. So right now it's, uh, wait for me, I'm coming. Wait for me, I'm coming to. It's from Town. And two weeks later, I'm still singing this song. So I went to see, and by the way, at the end of Town, standing ovation, very, very cool. It was a great show. I, lo- I loved the show. I thought the performance was a great play. So I went to see a little musical called Tootsie at the Dolby Theater on Hollywood Boulevard on Saturday because we're we're trying to make an effort to see more shows. And we had such a good experience with Town. We're like, okay, let's go try to show was awful, <laughs> just awful. There is not a single song that I can remember or choose to remember from that musical. And the thing that's frustrating to me is that at the end, I was very deliberately not going to stand up. I was not. Everybody gets a standing ovation for everything now. 
Um, Ellen gets a standing ovation before she even does the show, right? The View, 45 minutes. Bill Maher, standing ovation. So you get the standing ovation before. I did not want to do the standing ovation at Tootsie. But at the end, and I told Juan this, I said, I, I'm not doing a standing ovation. I am not doing a standing ovation. You verbally said that. I did. I said, I'm not doing a standing ovation. And then finally, everybody stood up and I'm like, well, hell, I can't even see the curtain call. So I'm like, all right, I'll stand up. I, but if you didn't want to stand up, you know, you didn't have to stand up. I mean, how how close were you sitting to the stage? Would they have seen you? Right, like they, row 10, but they were doing like a little jig or something. I don't know if it's called a jig, but they were doing a little jig at the end. Like, hey, look, we did the show. Yada, yada, yada. Well, it, it sounds like that's probably the best part of the show. So you know, maybe you didn't want to miss that. <laughs> the best part. That was the most entertaining was their curtain call. <laughs> Definitely. Not a good sign on a show. The end was fantastic. I love the end. <laughs> well, leaving. No, leaving. I, leaving was the best part. Of I the stood show. up and cheered. Yeah. Not everything deserves a standing ovation. Not and everything. not everything deserves to be a Broadway show. Like, true, I, I true. just think of subject matter. I remember years ago, there was a show. It was about the Achilles Laurel, which was the ship that um, Leon. Wait a minute. There was a show about the Achilles Laurel? Yes, there was. I think it closed in a day. It's like, how do you do a show about that? That is weird that there would be a show because I, I remember a little bit about this, right? It was a guy named Bernie Klinghoffer. Um, was. Yeah, Klinghoffer, right, right. Wasn't he thrown off the ship, I think? He was thrown off the ship. Yeah, thrown off the ship. I always thought. <laughs> You know, Tom Brokoff uh, was was doing the news back then. And I had a friend who was an NBC uh, news anchor. And uh, he said Tom Brokaw gets paid, um, you know, millions of dollars for saying 24 of the 26 letters of the alphabet uh, because, you know, he had that. Uh, so rolling, I, the, rolling L thing. Rolling L. So I was like, uh, Bernie Klinghoffer on the <laughs> Achilles Laurel. <laughs> I thought that was like the very worst thing. That Tom Brokaw would have to do on the news. That's so funny. Yeah. So, I mean, I saw, you know, I saw the, you know, the trailers for it, you know, commercials for it, for, for Tootsie. And I'm like, I, 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 there's no way in the world that I would see this. Yeah. It seemed like a good idea at the moment. At the time, it seemed like a good idea. There are lots of good musical, and I'm trying to see more. The and we haven't been to New York in a while, and I miss the theater. That's one of the right. best things about living in New York was just rolling out of bed and going to see a show. All right, I want to ask you: Do you know anyone who's seen Shen Yun? <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> there are so many commercials for this thing called Shen Yun. <laughs> I have no idea it? what it is, except it's dancing and skirts flying in the air and and it's apparently changed a lot of people's lives <laughs> <laughs> the ads say it's changed people's lives yeah i have no idea shen yun will you shen. go and report back no but every time the commercial comes on tom's like we have to go see that <laughs> he's I'm, I'm getting tickets i said you get tickets for that I'm divorcing you. Every, every year, Juan will say to me, I'm getting you Shen Yun tickets for your birthday. I'm he says getting, that? Yeah, he does. You've <laughs> got no idea what Shen Yun is. But, uh, I don't even maybe, know what it means. I have no clue. <laughs> I have no clue. I think, I think bad play. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I one of my favorite shows on TV 
for the last few years has been uh, Better Call Saul. It is just fantastic. And our guest today has just wrapped up his run on Better Call Saul, where he has played Nacho Varga for the last six seasons. Michael Mondo joins us. Michael, thank you very much for doing this, man. Huge fan. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Steve. It's a pleasure. So this podcast, I want to let everybody know up front, this podcast will have spoilers, okay? So if you're in the middle of watching uh, Better Call Saul for this season, there are spoilers. But I want to get this uh, first. You make your dramatic exit, and we'll get to that. Uh, but what has Better Call Saul done for you personally and professionally in, in your life? That's a great question, Steve. Um, you know, we've been part of the show for about six, seven years. And I think it's the first time that I've been a part of something that long. And what it's done for me is it's given me a point of reference for my life throughout the years that you can point to and, and, and watch a very clear evolution because everything that you're living is captured on camera. And every time you go back and revisit the, the, the character, you're, something else happening is happening in your life. So it gives you a really good ability to track your life and to track your performances and where your headspace is at and how that translates into your work. That was a, a real gift for me. And then the ability to learn on and off camera from the producers, the directors, the writers, going forward in my career, um, having a lot of tools to be able to produce and co-create. I would say those two things are really, really helped me a lot. Where'd you go to find this character? You know, like, I I don't know you. You know, here we are. I'm seeing you, you know, for the first time outside of Nacho. And I, I look at your face and I look at your, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, feel who you are, your demeanor. Where do you go to, to find this guy? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I, I think my, my philosophy in terms of acting is do a lot of preparation and then let it go completely and and see what happens and, and I think ideally you want to be inspired so when whatever is captured ideally it's not something you're thinking about but before that uh, I do a lot of research um, for this particular character I wanted to make I wanted to bring uh, something I wanted to make the New Mexican culture proud and I wasn't from New Mexico and I wasn't Hispanic and I said how can I how can I give integrity to the to this character and i went all the way and i studied the aztecs and the mayans hmm. and i wanted to understand that culture a little bit more and it's interesting because that that study paid back at the very end um i'll tell you a quick anecdote um i realized that they did a human sacrifice they were an agriculture uh, society and they did human sacrifice. And when you hear it from one historian, it sounds a little bit barbaric and you go, oh, wow, they're, they're killing people. And you imagine that these people are being dragged out into the sun and, and sliced in front of everybody. That's the image that you get when you hear that. And then I read the same story from a Hispanic historian. And he was saying that the, the strongest men in the community competed they played this competitive sport in front of the whole community. And it was the strongest men who volunteered to sacrifice their life for the community hmm. so that the gods could bring down the rain. So their relationship with death was very, very, very different from the one we understand. That was a really interesting thing to keep in the back of my mind. And of course, it, it somehow ties up with the character in season six. Yeah. Hmm. So your role has got so many layers to it. I mean, uh, Nacho's working for the Salamancas and spying for Gus Fring and 
you're looking out for your dad. And as an actor, all of this push pull, all these things are sort of flashing across your face. You say you let the, the research go, take me into the moment where you're actually on the set and, and this is playing out. You know, it's a bit like an athlete. I think you want to be in a state of flow. You know, you don't want to be, it's like, you know, I like watching basketball and, and you, you can tell when an athlete isn't thinking anymore and they're just being, they talk about it a lot in sports and a lot of competitive in boxing and in martial arts and everything. And I think even um, I like to do weapons training and, and, and martial arts for, for fun and for acting. And it's the same thing when you're, when you're shooting a target, you can't be thinking you, you just got to let, you got to be completely relaxed and you just got to see what happens. I think in other words, inspiration is, is most of the time in my case, superior than thinking, hmm. you know, your, your, the intelligence in your gut and in your being always feels to me to be, um, superior than the actual brain thinking. And it, it doesn't mean that you're not using your brain, but I think you're using your, your gut and you're using your heart and you're using your subconscious at the same time, which is, of course, much larger than your conscience. So you, 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 you go through your conscience, you fill it up with as much stuff as you can, and then ideally you operate from a state of flow. It's so interesting that you say that because in my career, I've worked in reality TV. I've had to do a lot of interviews. I'm working on a documentary now, have to do a lot of interviews. And there's... There's something to be said about when I have seen on shows that I've worked on when I was not the interviewer and and I'd be like, oh, God, I can't believe they didn't ask that. Oh, I can't believe they didn't follow up. They were so tied to the questions that were on the page that when the person actually answered one and there should have been a follow up, they weren't even listening. It's like they got the answer that they were looking for but then they just went right to the next question and and i see that with talk show hosts too a lot of times they're so they've got blinders on it's like these are the questions i'm gonna ask and then they just move on so it, it has a lot of similarity of it well it's being in the moment too in a yeah. lot of ways right yeah it, and, and it's a scary place to be because there's no there's no um safety net it, it, and, and you can make mistakes you know, it's like, it's like we're doing this podcast, right? We have about half an hour. I can come in and usually you come in and you protect yourself and you go, I'm going to talk about these points and that's it. But that's boring because the, the, the thing is you, you already know what you're doing. You're regurgitating things that you've planned and there is nothing. We're not going to discuss anything that is going to teach us something or that is going to inspire us. So that's, it's a catch 22, you know, it's like, it's like a singer going up and going, I know the song, but I'm just going to see what comes out. And then you can hit a lot of false notes like that, mm -hmm. or you can stick to the song and, and hit none of the false notes. So that's the dilemma, I, I think, between, between those approaches. So your, uh, your final episode is rock and hard place. Um, and you, I'm curious when you felt when did Nacho decide that he was going to die? I think that, you know, when we did season five, at the end of season five, when he's speaking to Don Eladio, he's got a scene with the head of the head of the head of everybody. And he's offered the highest position in the cartel. And I knew then, I think instinctually, that um, 
my character was going to be around a lot because because in the way I played it, I I I had no interest. Um, my character had no interest in joining the cartel or rising up in the cartel, and I felt that the whole show was Breaking Bad, and this one character wanted to break good. Mm. I knew mm. that the, I knew that the current of the show was too strong for me to be able to keep that up for for long. So it kind of made me feel sick to my stomach. So I knew around then that things weren't going to go really well for me, but it was a choice that I was willing to double down on. So the Salamanca, those the the brothers, are the Salamanca is the whole family. Yeah. Okay. Well, the two, the twins. The twins, yes, Louis uh, and Daniel Moncada. Yeah. Okay, they are so creepy to me <laughs> in the show. What are these guys like at, at, in real life? Super fun. <laughs> <laughs> super fun. Super kind. Super sweet. Uh, incredibly generous. I mean, they're the opposite of their characters. Don't get me wrong; they have a really interesting life. I mean, you, they're worth they're worth interviewing. They're very talented, and they, and they have a crazy life, very interesting life. But um, really fun. A lot of times, I've noticed people who really are who've really felt lived things that are um, kind of dangerous and and uh, you know dramatic tend to be kind of fun and, and nice because they, they don't need to put that on all the time. You know, like you'll, you'll, you'll see a lot of fighters, UFC fighters or, or Navy, Navy SEALs or whatever. They're just laid back people because they, they know what danger feels like and they don't need to be there all the time. They actually don't want to. It's like Bruce Lee says, I'd rather be a, a warrior in a garden than a gardener in times of war. Hmm. You know what I mean? Hmm. So I think it's that idea that a lot of a lot of people who've been through a lot want to just live in a garden, though they want to keep tweaking their warrior skills. <laughs> so, so when you were growing up, you lived a lot of uh, different places. You, your, I guess your your family moved around a lot. Is that do I have that right? Yes, we moved around a lot. Um, my father grew up in Germany. My mother was born in Guinea. They met in Ivory Coast, uh, Abidjan, and then um, my older brother was born there, and then we they moved to Canada, Quebec. My younger brother and I were born there, and then we moved back to Africa, and we moved around. We were in Ghana and all that stuff, and then came back to Canada. So there was a lot of moving, and a lot of moving of dif different houses, different schools, different neighborhoods. We were constantly moving, honestly. And how has that played into your ability to sort of inhabit these different roles? Um, you re you ask yourself, where is home? You know, culturally, I feel I don't have a culture that I call home or a, a country or a city, or I can't point to a house in particular and say, this is my childhood home. The advantage of that is that you realize that home is a state of mind and you're, you're constantly looking for what feels like home internally. I find that to be something that I, um, I value. It doesn't matter where you are. You can be home if you're in the right state of mind. Um, and it helps you in the sense that you get to see a lot of cultures and a lot of people and you sympathize with a lot of people from all the social status, all the economic, economic status, all race, all culture, all gender, because you're constantly moving. You, you constantly have to make new friends, you know, where did the bug come to be an actor? Um, it was really by accident. You know, I had a tr tragic event happen to my mother. 
she was unfortunately shot in in a robbery. She was mm. shot in a heart in a car uh, car hijacking, and she was paralyzed from the waist down. Mm. And then mm. in an un, in an unrelated accident, I was shot in in my knee. It sounds like we come from a family of gangsters, but not at all. These are just totally freak accidents. My father's a chemist. You know, he's got a doctorate in chemistry. He used to. He passed away. But anyway, um, I'm, I'm saying that. So it's like, it's not like we're part of the cartel or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but, now but, it's all making sense. Yeah, no, no me, me and my mom both got shot. It's like, wow. Wow. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff in, in the family that just kind of is. Um, it's just like, it's weird. You know, I, I say it out loud now, like it's just a fact. But when I think about it, I go, man, what are the odds of that? And how did that happen? But anyway, so, and then I, I left university and I was rehabbing my knee for about two years because I couldn't walk. And they told me I wasn't going to be able to play sports. I was reading a lot of spiritual books and paying attention to signs and acting just kept coming back in my life. So I pursued it and then I fell in love with it because we had a lot of teachers. It was the first time I heard the word humanity in a classroom. Hmm. I'd never hear, I'd never heard that before where people were, our teachers were making, they were part of the civil rights movements in America. And they were talking to us how culture and arts um, shape society and, and shape culture. And I grew up mostly with my father at work and my mother, not with my mother. So we grew up watching TV and listening to music. And I realized how much of an impact that had on me. And that was the reason why I felt um, I wanted to be a part of this and, and help sort of shape it, you know, in, a, in whatever small way I can. So uh, give me a couple of good, uh, I, I've also gone on the, the trip of reading a lot of spiritual books. Uh, give, me, give me a couple that, uh, that move you. The very first one, I mean, we're talking early 20s. So I was in university and I met um, a really cool friend of mine and he gave me a book uh, called um, The Alchemist by uh, Paulo Coelho. And that was the first, not the first book I read, but it was the one of the first ones that started making me think about like, wait a minute, what is this thing that I'm feeling? You know, I remember when I watched 2001 Space Odyssey, I was like maybe nine years old and I thought it was another Star Wars. I had rented it. I was in Accra, Ghana, and I rented this film and, and I watched it and, I, and I, I was expecting like lightsabers and all that kind of stuff. And I remember that the how, you know, that Sure. Yeah. yeah. Robot. Yeah. The, the, the big circle and that weird kind of ominous. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time that I, I freaked out feeling like there was more to life as a nine-year-old. I was like, what, what am I feeling? What is this thing that I'm feeling? You know? And the, the, the alchemist kind of started hitting on that, like the sense of like, maybe there's more to life. Maybe there's an energy force. Maybe there's this, maybe there's that. And then there's a book I read called um, The Prophecy of the Antilles, I think. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember it very well, but I remember it talked about serendipity and how you have to pay attention to signs. So it was a lot of stuff like that, where my mind was kind of like, you know, as a young 20-year-old, 22, 23, whatever, my mind was open and, and like looking around going, you know, maybe there's more to life than what we're we're taught or what we're aware of. Yeah, I probably read. I think I read The Alchemist probably once every couple of years. It is an unbelievable book, and yeah, inspired by Santiago, who's got his personal legend that he is pursuing, and everybody is sort of on that path. By the way, I've been to Accra, Ghana. I j- j- just jumped out of me. I was at the. Uh, Cape Coast Castle and uh, yep. stood at the uh, the point of no return uh, where uh, Africans were 
uh, taken away to become slaves in the new world, which is just an ominous sort of feeling. I'm sure you've been in that spot, yeah, right? It's, it's such a weird place and you can feel it. You can like when I remember as a child, when we went there and you could feel the like profound sadness and darkness of humanity. And you go, what is wrong with human beings? Like that mm-hmm. they would do that to other human beings. It's just like, uh, it's weird. We're talking about it and I still feel it. And I've, I haven't been there in like 30 years and I can feel it just talking about it. That's the feeling I had. There was like these white walls that were dirty and yep. it was, it was just, they were big and it was just weird. It's weird. And laid right into the surf and, yeah, and you're right. A profound uh, sadness, and you couldn't. I I I was there with people, and you couldn't really talk out loud. It was almost like it was more appropriate to whisper than it was to actually speak at normal volume. You know, exactly. Yeah, it, it's weird. You know, I think when I grew up growing up in Africa, um, you know, I'm kind of brown skinned and. So I'm not black and I'm not white. And you, you felt the, the, the European imperialist culture oppressing in, in, especially in when we were studying in school, because we went to private schools and it was very, and you were learning the history of Europe in Africa, not the history hmm. of Africa. So we had no points of references. And in the history, the, the, the way the history was told, you, you'd think that, you know, everything started in Europe. And when you, when you get older, you realize like, wait a minute, you know, the, the Phoenicians invented phonetics, you know, the Arabs invented the number zero and you, you go, wait, like, wait a minute, everybody contributed to society, to our culture, to our Western world in such a huge way. And you go, well, why, why aren't we looking at the world like that? We're, we're all brothers and sisters really that like the technology we're using right now was invented because somewhere along the lines, people invented math and people, you know, we're looking up at the Aztecs were drawing calendars for hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, it's really a collaborative. Um, we're really a collaborative species and everything we're all of our resources right now that could feel like they're invented in Silicon Valley found their roots by thousands and thousands of you know, mathematicians and historians and philosophers from all around the world. So that's yeah. the kind of thing that, you know, you, um, you, you realize growing up. Right. I know. And now those books will probably be out of schools. <laughs> well, it's kind of scary. Sad, with books. You know, how, yeah. It's sad because the libraries are, are gone, are going away and, and everything is what you get on the internet. And it's, it's scary. You know, you it's scary. Cause you know, in, in about a hundred years, you could 200 years. It's like, whatever's on Google is what we think is there. And that's it, you know? So yeah, it's kind of weird. Let me, let me go back to the sort of the, your final scene on breaking bad. Um, Cause you talk about the choreography of it because there's the Don, there's Hector, there's Gus. Um, how, how does that scene come together? How's it choreographed and how, how is the scene assembled? Well, I mean, there's a couple of things that make that episode really interesting. Um, and go- written and directed by Gordon Smith, who did a wonderful job. Um, it's about a guy who, who is free, essentially, kind of like a third or a quarter into the story, into the episode. He's free to go. He wins. He, he can walk into the sunset. He calls his father. His father says, 
go to the police. I'm not running with you. I'm not, I'm not going to escape with you. So this man decides to trade and sacrifice his life for that of his father. So essentially it's about a story come. It's about a story about a man who has everything and decides to trade it to do the right thing. So he, that scene is about a guy walking to his death, willingly sacrificing himself to his death. The other kind of like subtext to it that makes it really interesting is that we, the audience, know that every single character in that scene dies. <laughs> they just uh, don't know it yet. Yes. Yes. And we've seen them die, which is really interesting. Mm. So they're there to witness this guy die, but they've all died before. And they're all, <laughs> in other words, they're all going to die. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. And, and none of them die by their own terms. They all get killed by somebody else yeah it's just it's got it's got a lot of interesting silly huh. kind of firing where he's the he's the first to go he's the he's the least afraid to go and he's going absolutely on his own terms and it sets the pace you know it, it there's a lot of stuff happening at the same time that that really makes it a i think a really special scene and the other thing is it's kind of like a tr to me anyway it's kind of like a trial to, of weighing his heart and it reminds me of the ancient Egyptians. They had this thing where they would say, if someone's heart weighs lighter than a feather, they go to heaven. Hmm. And the idea is that you die with no regrets, no second doubts, no fear, nothing, that you're 100% in what your belief system is. And he is a guy who's you know been between a rock and a hard place this whole time, except at the moment of his death, where he's completely whole and completely fearless. So I think those things are all playing and, and, and help with the choreography of the energies that are being sort of bounced around. How far in advance do you know what's going to happen to your character? Or did you know what was going to happen to your character? Well, I, I had a call that winter. I was in Montreal and, and Peter, Vince and Melissa Bernstein called and said, you know, your character goes in three. And uh, they said, but it's going to be a tour de force. I'll never forget it. You know, they said it'll be physical. You get to do your own stunts. It's going to be very emotional, psychological, spiritual. You're going to be asked to do everything and play all the notes on the piano. And I, I was incredibly um, excited. They said it was going to be your little feature film inside of the show. Hmm. It's going to be the nacho feature film. And I was just incredibly excited because it's the opportunity I've always wanted. And I've always wanted to, to be able to lead the crew and, and to be able to lead a show. And, and this six years has been kind of like a practice field for me. And I got the opportunity to do that in that episode. And it, it made television history. We broke a lot of records. It was really, really, really fun. And um, I'm very grateful for that opportunity. I wanted to ask you a question. When you're in the, that, that oil, was it like an oil tanker? Is that what it is? Like, it's a, Yeah, it's like a vegetable. Um, it's something, it's out of vegetables. They, they, sque they squeezed it out of vegetables. And um, it's, 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 it doesn't dye your skin or anything like that. It doesn't burn or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you what that liquid was. It was like a, I, I can't, I don't know what the word is, but it's like a method, method, methacil. I can't remember. They, I have a video of it where they're explaining it, but it's vegetable based. It's okay. Like a bunch of vegetables. I don't know, squished and I don't know what. Yeah. It looks like it would take a long time to get rid of it afterwards. No, it doesn't stain. But the difficulty with, with that is that, First of all, I have makeup on with scratches and stuff, right? Right. So when you get in and you have your clothes, so the moment you dip into that, 
if like you have to do another take, yeah. you gotta go shower, you gotta change, you gotta redo your makeup. It's like an hour reset. Wow. You know what I mean? So that was that's the challenge of that. So we couldn't do a lot of takes of me going in and out because it would take the whole day every time I had to. So we, we had to be very kind of strategic as to what we shot when and how many times we could reset. And uh, yeah. So, so Nacho finds redemption as we've sort of talked about here. Do you think Jimmy, do you think Saul can find some level of redemption? Isn't in the end that that's what the breaking bad universe is really about. Um, that's a really interesting question. And, um, it'd be, it'd be, it wouldn't be fair for me to answer it for Bob's character or for, you know, to speak about it from Peter and Vince's point of view, but I can talk about it from my point of view. Um, just from specifically my responsibility, which is to interpret Nacho. I've always seen it as a show about morality and justice. And, um, I've always looked at it as, you know, Nacho, you see him the first time, you know, he looks a specific way and you immediately go bad guy. And then you look at, you know, other characters that look a specific way and come from another demographic and you immediately think good guy. But from the very beginning, the reality is that nothing makes those other people good. They're, they're, they're crooks and they're liars and they're schemers and, and their morality gets corrupted more and more. And then this young man who has made wrong choices. When we first see him, the very first scene, he saves three lives. And no one really puts that into consideration. They never go, wait a minute, what's actually happening as, to, as opposed to what I think is happening? In other words, we come, to, we come to it with so much prejudice. And we look at justice and morality like that. We have our own perception of who the good guys and bad guys are. If you put a guy a bit in the shadow, you think bad guy. He's got a specific skin color and he's wearing gold. This is a bad guy. You, you have a guy who's smiling and you go, I love this guy. He's so fun. But we're never really looking at things for, really for what they are. And I think to me, that's what I felt was, the, was the, the core theme of it is what really is moral and justice is just this bureaucratic lingo of BS that can be bent in a hundred thousand different ways that really has no virtue at its core. I'm going to ask you a question I don't actually want to know, know the answer to. So I know that, uh, that Walter White and Jesse Pinkman, that uh, Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul will be coming back at some point during this season. Don't tell me how, if you know, but do you know how they come back? Yeah, I know, I know what happens in the story. Yeah. I know how, when, and all that stuff. Um, it, it, you know, it's inevitable. You have to, they have to come back at some point because the two worlds are colliding, you know, you, and this is the season where the two worlds collide. They're, they're great guys. They're super fun. And, um, we were so happy to, to know that they were coming back. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, listen, a, uh, a phenomenal send off from better call Saul. Uh, one of the really, one of the most memorable episodes of the entire series is the one that we've been talking about here with Nacho making that, uh, that, that sacrifice, that ultimate sacrifice for, for his dad. Uh, you were great in it. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. I, you know, I hope awards and all that stuff. I hope all that stuff goes along with it. You, you've been fantastic, man. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And, and thank you for the great questions. You guys have asked a lot of uh, things that made me think a lot. And I appreciate it. Cool. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you, guys. There you have it. Michael Mondo from 
Better Call Saul, which I'm in the middle of right now. It is so good. What's frustrating, Sue, is we got a final season, but it's like six episodes, then wait a while, then six more episodes. It's like I, I really, really want to see how this story resolves. I know this tease, you know, they do that, you know, they like you, we were talking off the air, about how they did it with um, Breaking Bad, they're doing it with Ozark, you know, they did the same thing with Ozark. Um, I just have to say about, um, about Michael, it's always, I mean, it's, it's always so much fun for me when we're interviewing someone that I know nothing about, like I've never seen him interviewed Mm -hmm. and, um, and and he was wasn't anything and 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 it's funny because he talks so much about you know the, like impressions that you have of people i had no idea what to expect from him but i right. didn't expect what we got <laughs> yeah yeah no it's really soulful thoughtful Deep, introspective yeah um, really thought i mean his character he clearly really understands who nacho was and what was he all about um just just really a, a thoughtful guy so Yeah, we appreciate him uh, coming on. Hey, don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and at stevemason.com. And please, don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. Sue, we will see you next time. On the Culture Pop Podcast.